A quick announcement. As of September 23rd, 2023, When the Light Goes Out is officially a year old, which is truly insane to comprehend for me. If you're currently listening, you are contributing and supporting my work, and I cannot phrase into words how grateful I am for every one of you. I have really enjoyed my time in doing this show, and I honestly cannot wait to see where this show will take me within another year. I hope that you will continue through this true crime and paranormal podcasting journey with me as we continue to unfold the world's darkest truths. Thank you a thousand times more for listening. Now, on with the show. When we last left off in part one of our story, an Australian widow by the name of Anne Hamilton Byrne wanted a fresh new start to her life. In doing so, Anne sought out peace in yoga, and a little later, she decided to become a yoga instructor herself. And after seeing how much he impacted the woman that she had taught to, Anne really started taking their belief in her for granted. Anne would begin her own yoga school. She recruited all of these wealthy people that would provide her with money towards her newfound cult, and this will all happen with the help of her co-founder, Dr. Rainer Johnson. On top of this, Anne would get the rights to a psychiatric hospital where she would pretty much house anyone that questioned when against or try going against her authorities. One of the patients had been someone that had nothing to do with all of this madness, which was the wife of a man named Bill Byrne. Bill and Anne met, began falling in love, and Bill would decide then to send his wife to Anne's psych hospital and then abandon his own four children. At this point in the story, Anne and Bill would get married. Anne is a wealthy millionaire, but the only thing that Anne is missing is the perfect family. I'm your host, Kendall Hudson, and welcome to When the Light Goes Out. So the time is 1970. The Great White Brotherhood cult had begun growing to about 500 members, and they all would meet weekly to hear Anne's sermons while still taking copious amounts of LSD. Now keep in mind, the Brotherhood is just the name because there are so many women involved in this cult as well. Anne would swear to all of her followers that she was this all-powerful reincarnation of Jesus Christ, and everyone believed it. In my opinion, did Anne truly believe that she had been the reincarnation of Jesus Christ? Um, I think she initially wanted control and wealth. She was clearly good at that seeing as she created a cult in the beginning. Although she sold it off to these people so much that I think she really began to believe that she was belonging to a higher power and that she was untouchable. Anne would also continue to receive so many facelifts and Botox treatments to her face to pass off as this younger version of herself that her hairline would begin receding, which there are multiple photos of Anne all over the internet over the years that will show that if you look 
you'll see her hairline. It just gets further and further and further back. And I'll post this onto the show's Instagram. I have to think, how did this not bother Anne? Hairline recedings are a natural occurrence for many people, although this being happening to Anne due to facelifts at the time, you have to think, if the result to facelifts is this, then why wouldn't you want to start rethinking your decisions? This didn't seem to bother Anne, because throughout her life, she never stopped. Another piece of the story is the debt that the members paid for being a part of this cult in the first place, and that debt owed was simply that her followers do anything and everything that Anne said. No matter if they wanted to or not, which if you ask me, it's a pretty scary demand and a huge form of repaying and showing their loyalty to Anne, these members would pretty much join the cult with no out. They needed to show her love and dedication to the cult in order to have a chance of making it to heaven, according to Anne, and if they didn't, they'd be pretty much waving hello to that psychiatric hospital where the doctors and nurses also devote themselves to Anne. I probably sound like a broken record at this point, but let's not forget that every single one of these people went through their time in this cult tripped out on LSD, so no one had the right state of mind. So around the time of the early 1970s, the Cold War had been taking place. It had already started long before this time, and around the time of the 70s hit, tensions from opposing civilizations were sort of dying down a little bit, but it was still very relevant as it would only eventually get worse before it got better. Most of the world was very much still on high alert because a big part of this horrific outcomes of the Cold War were nuclear conflicts. Only a decade prior in 1962 had been the Cuban Missile Crisis, and most people believe that the world was genuinely at the brink of nuclear war. Well, one day, at one of these sermons that Anne had been rambling on and on at, she had felt it was only right to mention her and God had been, you know, making casual conversation, and she recently learned that there would be an apocalypse on the rise. Luckily for everyone already a part of her quote-unquote ritual group, they wouldn't have to worry. They would just remain untouched and unbothered, just as long as they continued to follow and do as Anne said. They would be saved from this terrifying and horrible global disaster. But there was just one big demand that Anne needed from her followers. That demand would be to help her and God start repopulating the earth prior to the world's demise and... How did she intend for her followers to do this? Well, they need to begin finding children to accumulate because this brand new world, according to what God has told her, would be the master race of human existence. To which I question, what does that mean? Like, did they really think that this would just be the new class of humans that would have the same power as Anne allegedly had? I personally don't know, but these children that she had planned on raising within the cult would be the new age generation to regrow Earth's population, according to Anne. She needed these children to teach the generation after theirs about their knowledge of the world and what the cult has taught them. And crazy enough, Anne's followers were all in. So now we get to the point where Anne and her followers begin to quite literally abduct and steal infants and children. If you can recall from part one, Anne already had one child, but unfortunately later found out that she could not adopt for more, and she also had a hysterectomy by the time she met Bill Byrne in her 50s, not allowing her to have any more of her own children. 
So what would any insane person in Anne's shoes do at this point? Take what she cannot have. With the doctors and nurses working at the psychiatric hospital, Anne would devise a plan. This plan would entail allowing for their younger patients to pretty much engage in intercourse with one another or welcome young already pregnant women into the hospital to give birth. These patients would then get pregnant and at the time of giving birth, these doctors and nurses would be waiting to take the child away, never even allowing for the mothers to see their own child. At the time, there were a number of countries, including Australia, that did not allow or stand for teen pregnancies, and the result in this would be to receive psychiatric help to then return to their families afterwards. So most of the time, the parents of these young girls wanted no one to know of their daughter's pregnancy whatsoever, so they secretly send their daughters to have these babies in hospitals, and they were willing to keep the pregnancy on the down low. Generally, thereafter, the babies would then be put up for adoption, which all to say is already devastating enough. But half the time, the young ladies coming out of Anne's psychiatric hospital wouldn't have their children given to an adoption agency. They go straight into the hands of Anne Hamilton Byrne. Now, to be specific, not all of the newborns would end up in this cult because, of course, they had to be smart in their deceitful actions, and there were some children that would actually end up in adoption agencies, but a good handful of them did go to Anne. With the babies that Anne did take ownership of, any of the followers that had a background in law or that called themselves lawyers helped scramble together false documents and birth certificates, so if any investigators or police would come in questioning, they had proof of identity and that they were legally in care of Anne. When this scheme proved to be a little bit challenging for her followers to pull off, she demanded that her own followers hand their children over to her if they were expecting or attempting to have children, and guess what? They did. Between the 70s well into the 80s, 14 children would have come from the young women from the psychiatric hospital, while 14 more would come from the followers. Anne Hamilton Byrne would finally have the perfect family, and that is exactly when the cult would be changed to its name from the Great White Brotherhood to the family. These children all could have been given a more deserving family and would all have been raised being loved, but as you can see and come to later find out, a lot of these children came out the cult just being very mentally scarred. Now I'm just going to stop for a minute, just to avoid any confusion, most of what happens going forward is through two decades of the 70s and 80s, so there is no specific year that this all happened at, there was all pretty much the same ongoing treatment for the next 20 years to these kids. In all, 28 children would have been stolen and given to Anne Hamilton Byrne. As they grew up, they all believed that Anne and her husband Bill, because don't forget Bill is a part of this too, were their biological parents. The children's last names were even all changed to Hamilton Byrne, and what is absolutely most chilling to me is that Anne would have their hair dyed platinum blonde, which would burn their heads. The boys will all have similar bowl cut hairstyles, and the girls will all have very long straight hair. And Anne would do this to convince them that they were all related. 
some children did come out without having their hair dyed platinum blonde if their hair was kind of like a lighter brown or red color. And this was for reasons I personally can explain other than maybe not having such an obvious of a resemblance. Though all in all, these kids were dressed and made to look exactly identical. The same tracksuits to do their daily exercise routines in, the same dresses, the same shirts, and the same slacks, all of it. One crazy point is, not every loyal member within the cult of the family even knew that Anne and some of the members were working together to steal these children, and not everyone was informed. Suspicion grew, but there was a good amount of the followers that really thought that Anne was just always having these children around the clock. Which is crazy to think one middle-aged woman could be able to have 28 children in the span of 10 years. But Anne would go as far as to wear maternity clothes, she would wear fake baby bumps and tell members that she had seemed to have been giving birth to sets of twins and triplets all the time. Now whether Anne really had these members fooled or not, everyone knew not to question Anne. It was not a part of the will of God to have questioned God's prophet, so people remained seemingly quiet about it. Eventually, Anne had purchased more land, but land designated only for a handful of her members that knew about what she was doing with these children. This remote land was bought on Australian soil and was named Uptop. And this is where only some of Anne's special members would raise all 28 children. Years and years would go by, and more and more security began being added to the property to ensure the children remained inside the property, such as fencing with barbed wire. And even then, if the children did escape, they'd be fleeing into nothing but acres of land. There were designated female members that Anne would name aunties. And these women were ones to care for the children, inflict pain, and groom the children to make sure that they all felt related to one another. If any child was deemed out of order or disobedient, they'd neglect a meal from these children, which most of the meals already were just fruit and maybe smaller portions to get their nutrients from, but that was all. And sometimes Anne would come to the property of Uptop to personally discipline the children. This was rare, but she'd do it. And when she came, she would come, she would have them lay flat, and then she would dig her stiletto heels into their backs. If that's not crazy, I don't know what is. And that was another thing about this case. Anne, most of the time, never even stepped foot on the property that the kids were on. Anne never wanted to be the bad parent, quote-unquote, in the eyes of the kids, beyond her random petty personal punishments. She mostly took part in the children's lives from afar while the aunties raised them, and then if she wasn't able to personally discipline the children... Anne would call the aunties at Uptop, and she would literally listen to the kids receive these brutal beatings through the phone. If any of this couldn't be bad enough, the children would be given doses of Valium to keep them docile until their age of 14. And then, like the adult members of the family, if you remember from part 1, by the age of 14, these kids will undergo an initiation to be given crazy large amounts of LSD, and then they would be left alone in a dark room where Anne would appear in a white gown with a single spotlight on her with a smoke machine, and she'd be claiming to be the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. 
Not only, but members that were also experienced in conversion therapy would come in to convince these kids that their mother was, first of all, the reincarnation of Jesus Christ, and that anyone outside of their family were out to harm them. And if any police officer was to ever come in contact with any of the kids, they were there to try and kill them. And they all, as Anne's children, had a purpose to be the new age after the world would end in nuclear destruction. I also wanted to point out that it probably goes without saying that none of these kids had any interaction with the outside world around them, nor with most members within the cult itself. And this was all a part of the cult's motto. They had their own motto. That motto was, unseen, unknown, unheard. In the eyes of these children, they knew that there was a human civilization outside of the land that they grew up on, but as far as they knew, the world was already at war, and they were the only hope for the rebirth of human civilization. Now, Anne spent the years that the children had been growing up at Uptop continuously still growing the family into a cult as big as it could get, only now, she had even more to show for. If you search online, you'll find so many home videos of the children at Uptop running around, looking happy as ever, and this is all just a facade in order to recruit new potential members. Behind closed doors, Anne would only let these kids let loose, run around, and have fun when the camera was rolling. When the camera was off, it was a boot camp in a prison straight out of a nightmare. And here's the weekly routine. On a daily basis, the kids would have to wake up around 5 a.m. And within that hour, they would have to get dressed and get ready. And then, directly after, they have an hour or more of yoga, which was not very peaceful because it was just mostly worshipping their own mother, or quote-unquote their own mother, only to follow up with more recordings of Anne talking to them on and on, And then, by 8 a.m., they had to start their exercises and training for the day. It wasn't until 8.30, 9 o'clock a.m. that they would be allowed some fruit for their breakfast, only to spend the rest of the day doing chores and schooling. They would be able to have small portions of fruits and vegetables for lunch and dinner, although these kids were so malnourished that one girl in the group could barely even walk. More brutally, the children were not allowed to associate with one another directly unless it was learning-related. Boys and girls slept in separate dormitory-style rooms. The property had no working electricity most of the time, so the state was lit using oil lamps at the time. No faucets or showers, so the kids washed using pails and buckets, and the children's schedules were so strict that they had designated times to use the bathroom. So basically, if a child had to use the bathroom before 9 p.m., but their time slot was at 6.30 p.m., they'd be refused to be able to use it. The next day would come, and the aunties would check everyone's bed. If that child had peed in their bed, they'd receive a brutal beating. They'd also receive beatings or even sometimes beatings with wooden beams with nails attached to them. If they not only wet the bed, but talked out of turn, were mismatched socks, did not understand the homework assignments, or were too slow during the exercises, and literally anything else that was out of Anne's formalities. Also, keep in mind, some of these children belonged to cult members, some of which belonging to the aunties carrying out these punishments. But you know, it's all a part of Anne's vision. Sometimes the aunties would even have their older children carry out these punishments. 
This is really brutal. There were incidents where new infants brought to this horrific institution wouldn't stop crying, so the aunties would have the kids submerge the babies into ice-cold tubs as punishment, and if the older child refused, they'd be seriously beaten, and the next child would then be forced to do it. There were other times when all the children would attempt to rebel, and they'd all one by one receive horrible whippings. According to sources, there had been one instance when Anne came to the property with a knife threatening the children to confess their sins. I cannot tell you how frequently these poor kids were starved of food for being what Anne, Bill, or the aunties deemed as disobedient. But like I said before, one girl was so underfed that when she was eventually found, she could barely walk. I think it was at this point in my research when I began really asking myself, did this really happen? I mean, grown adults torturing innocent children to this degree? Unfortunately, yes. And you may be wondering why I haven't named any of these children so far. Well, I will name one soon, and I know that you can find the names of these children online. Many have done interviews decades after being saved from police, but this case was so horrific towards children that I thought it was just best to solely tell a story without being attached to the specific children involved. This all took place between the 1970s till the late 1980s, and some names are still private to the public to this day. The list of torture and punishments that these kids had went through does not end. I could probably go through a full third part episode solely talking about what these kids went through, but even I had to stop and move on from this very dark portion of the story, so just know it really takes a heartless human being to commit the horrors on children that these people chose to do. Whether the aunties believe that these kids were a new age generation to avoid human extinction or not, these women hired by Anne had every moment for 20-something years to stop and question what they were doing to these children. What is heartbreaking amid the horrific crimes that this cult had committed is that police were actually onto this cult for a while before these kids would inevitably be rescued. Many people that lived close to the property had called the police on Uptop reporting that they had seen children in the area that seemed out of place or in poor condition. Of course, Anne, with the help of Bill and other aunties, planned ahead. They would hide the children in crawl spaces between the walls, and remember, to these children, the police were there to harm them, so of course they had to be scared out of their minds into not making any noise, and then nothing would come of the reports made. At the site of police, it was just a property where Anne's followers came to practice their beliefs. The better outcome about this story is that it does have a more pleasant, or I'll say a somewhat of a pleasant ending, because in 1987, a 14-year-old girl belonging to Anne's cult by the name of Sarah Moore, who actually was the first child that was brought into the cult, had been expelled from the group. The reason being because it was found that Sarah had been sneaking off the property at Uptop for months prior. Sarah ended up actually meeting another young girl that lived a pretty normal life, and Sarah had begun learning that the world was not in the state that she thought it was in. And Sarah would go back to the property telling the other kids about what the world was really like. Of course, over time, Sarah received the most horrendous ways of torturing a child, but eventually Sarah didn't even care. She had hope. 
So when Sarah was ultimately expelled from the cult, she had remembered all of the things that the girl that she had met had told her about. And that one thing that came out of thinking about this was that the police were supposed to help, not hurt. And immediately Sarah was able to get in contact with the police. On August 14th, 1987, Up Top had been finally raided by a group of law enforcement and all 24 children were taken into protective custody. But to no surprise, the police lost sight of both Anne Hamilton Byrne and Bill Byrne, who both fled the country. It took law enforcement in Australia six years after the kids had been rescued to find where the two had fled off to. It was not until 1993 when Anne had slipped up and gave away her and Bill's whereabouts, hiding out on their property in the Catskills of upstate New York. So eventually, Australian law enforcement got the two back on Australian soil to face their charges, and on August 17, 1993, the case had finally gone to trial. Anne Hamilton Byrne and Bill Byrne have been both found guilty of child imprisonment and sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole. That is how I wish this story was going to go, but this is far from the truth. Because in reality, the prosecution was only able to make one charge against Anne and Bill, which is conspiracy to defraud for making false birth certificates to three of the 24 children she never legally adopted. To put in more simpler terms, the prosecution cannot prove that all 24 children were never legally Anne or Bill's. To put into more simple terms, the prosecution cannot prove all 24 children were legally Anne or Bill's. They could only prove that three of the 24 were illegally given over to Anne and Bill, but they could not technically touch Anne or Bill for anything more because most of the damage done to these children was never directly from neither of them. Anne always had a middleman in all of her wrongdoing so that nothing ever directly came back to bite her in the ass. So the charges given to these two millionaires... Anne and Bill Byrne resulted in nothing more than a $5,000 fine. The charges brought from prosecution to those deemed the aunties only received fines for fraud for social benefits and a couple months sentence for child endangerment. If you're still confused as to how a giant fraction of a cult managed to steal, drug, and torture children for two decades... Remember when I said everyone in the family cult had a very high-ranking title and profession in part one? Well, a number of people were also working within Law Division, and they were able to get Anne Hamilton Byrne the smallest penalty between the time it took for law enforcement to locate her in upstate New York. Anne truly got away with all of these crimes committed, and it truly has to be the tell-all of how powerful this woman really was. Anne would go on in life to remain a free woman. She ended up developing dementia until she had passed away at the age of 93. According to the Australian Associated Press, Anne Hamilton Byrne had died in Melbourne at a senior citizen's home on June 13th, 2019. As for Anne's stolen children today, a lot of them wear their scars for good reason mentally and physically that the cult had inflicted on them. 
I have watched the documentary that I can post to the show notes, and we will never truly know all of who the children were unless they come forward, but a number of them still saw Anne and Bill Byrne as their parents, even after finding out what they had done, because unfortunately, this is all they really knew as parents. Former head detective on this case, Detective Lex Dumont, was quoted the day after Anne's death saying, quote, the normal reaction when you receive the news of the death of someone is of sadness. It's quite the contrary for me today. Today was a great day, and that she is now dead. She can rot. The lives that she affected and her evil deeds, I shed no tear. Not one drop. Unquote. And that takes me to the end of this very, very frustrating case of The Family, Australia's most notorious cult. This case was very new for me personally. I knew nothing about this case before until I started watching a show actually called The Clearing on Hulu. It caught my attention and it's loosely based on this case, but I was so intrigued and I had to look it up and I just went into a rabbit hole of information and there is so much more devastating information on this case. I think most people think cult and think a mass suicide or murder, and although none of that was the arc of this case, it still is a very chilling one that one woman got away with tearing apart the purity of dozens of children. I hope you all found this case as sad but fascinating as I did, and please do not forget to like and subscribe on the platform that you're currently streaming on. If you know anyone that likes true crime or the paranormal, let them know. This show's for them. You can follow the show and see related photos from this case by following on Instagram at WTLGO Podcast. Spooky season is also here, and I have lots of interesting and chilling stories planned ahead, so please stay tuned. Well, folks, with that, I'm your host, Kendall Hudson, and I will see you next when the light goes out.